Hello, this is Matt Hale bringing you Art Monthly's talk show on Resonance 104.4 FM. We're very grateful always to be allowed to come on Resonance 104.4 FM and here we are again. I think we're on getting into 30 programmes or something, so it's pretty amazing, really. And before we go any further, I want to just say to you listeners that we'd be very grateful and I'm sure you'd be very... Um, happy to receive a magazine on your doorstep once a month by subscribing to Art Monthly, which you can do at a special discount if you go to www.artmonthly.co.uk slash resonance, and there is a substantial discount on a standard subscription waiting for you there. Um, I'm joined today in the studio by two of our writers, both of whom have written before, um, Paul O'Kane and Sophie J. Williamson. Um, Paul is an artist, writer and lecturer... And Sophie is a curator based in London. Hello, guys. Hi. Hi. Thank you very much for coming in. And Thanks for having us back. That was a way of testing the mics, really, and it, it sort of worked. Paul had a little bit of trouble earlier, but he seems to be bearing, up, bearing up. Nice, soft, dulcet tones. <laughs> um, Paul's written a feature which is entitled, um, very nicely, I think, um, On the Act of Making and the Making of the Act. We called it in big letters, On Making Art. And, and actually, Paul said originally he had... The words think twice. It pulled, what was it originally, originally exactly? Think twice? Think twice on the act of making and the making of the act. OK. I'm just going to read a, p- a paragraph quickly from your piece, which is at the end. It says, As activism is reduced to clicktivism, the political self-consciousness of publicly funded, socially engaged practices might be said to attenuate the artist's production by forcing us that's the artist, because you're an artist too, into lengthy, conscious-driven procrastinations as proposals, applications and consultations intervene between our work and us. A slightly resentful suspicion lingers that artists are being brought to heel, subject to new forms of authority, our hands no longer freed. If so, it may be time to rethink those acts that lie at the heart of our practices, to examine the possibilities offered by the acts we feel we can make, those we tend to make, and as well as those we are perhaps afraid to make. We, we had a little chat before, and I know that that's you sort of concluding through conclusions of necessity in, in a way, isn't it? Because your piece is quite um, multivarious, but you are talking really about almost the kind of the con- being conscious or self-conscious about, of the, about the act of making and the bit before what we actually make as artists, is that beginning to get near where you're thinking? Yeah, I think the essay is, is really motivated by a slightly kind of uh, provocative um, will to kind of trouble or complicate the act of making. Um, I think it kind of arises from um, a slight suspicion that sometimes uh, artists, uh, art schools, etc., uh, fall back on this idea of making uh, to a point where it becomes um, taken for granted or even sort of elevated, kind of fetishized, that uh, uh, it's it's the kind of the manufacture uh, or the making in work that that, that can be kind of uh, isolated as a value or something. And uh, I just wanted to trouble that a little bit and ask people to think about uh, what really happens when you make something, you're involved in a kind of act of making, and what would happen if you start to consider that in a kind of uh, scrupulous kind of detail, um, almost kind of hesitating before you make, to think about the act of making. 
And uh, I don't think I'm the only person to consider that. And in my uh, essay, I mention people like uh, Benjamin, Walter Benjamin's interested in interest in slow motion film revealing the way that our acts uh, surprise us when we can actually see them or, or somebody like Duchamp uh, watching the dust breathing on his work as if uh, he almost wanted the art to to make itself so that kind of a technological technology allowing an analysis of something that wouldn't have been able to be analyzed so much you you, you actually quote as well um uh, Gilles de la Touré describing walking, which, again, was only possible for him to do because of technological uh, technology revealing it, was it? I mean, <laughs> Not necessarily. I mean, I, I, if you... Uh, I, I suppose uh, an ancient Greek philosopher could equally uh, take a walk and try to describe exactly what uh, was happening at that moment. Uh, you might fall over... Uh, if you if you do so, uh, which kind of like brings me to my point in a way that you know that that uh, um, artists maybe should be interested in uh, not just the uh, not just taking the act you know not just not just taking making for granted as a value in their work, but uh, considering what happens uh, as a kind of meta level, which I call kind of thinking twice, or a kind of hesitant level where you. Um, just asking people to consider what's what's happening in every in every act, um, and realizing, I suppose, as well that you're once you do that, you you have to give up certain ideas of authorship and control and uh, um, uh, intent in a way. You mentioned Roland Barthes, don't you? Writing and and then was it him that was sort of became very conscious of all the tools and accoutrements that attached to the act of sitting and writing. Yeah, I think Barthes is, is a classic example, probably the most familiar example in the essay to, to most uh, students of art, uh, artists and writers, etc. But uh, but uh, the essay, The Death of the Author, still holds a lot of charm for me. And uh, I think that he does a good job of uh, bringing attention to uh, the thing that I'm interested in in the essay, which is, you know, for example, the not only the sculptor, but you know, the writer sits down to uh, to make uh, to make writing, to make uh, make a name for themselves, or to make uh, uh, an important text, as I I suppose do myself in writing this essay for Art Monthly. Um, but if you stop and consider uh, that act of writing. Uh, as Barthes does famously in the Death of the Author essay, you 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 enter a quite a mysterious zone that I've always kind of uh, enjoyed, uh, where once authorship is not taken for granted, um, you realise you're involved in a dialogue with all kinds of cultural forces uh, and technological forces. You know the 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 ink and the pen, <laughs> the absorbency of the paper, uh, the motions of your wrist, uh, the expectations of the culture your imagination of the audience, all these things are kind of at play at the moment of writing. And I think that's probably exactly the same applies to the sculpture studio or the painting studio. Um, and I guess it, it may be a debate that belongs to that generation. I'm not quite sure if it's a You mentioned Nauman, don't you? Um, yeah. And the, and the sweeping of the studio and the filming of the, the empty studio. And Yeah, I, I've always... That's another historical example I've always liked. I mentioned Nauman and I mentioned Baslitz, for, if you want to represent painting as well, because, uh, you know, Nauman's um, technology plays a part there where it seems like the fact that video replay is available to Nauman as a you know the first generation of sculptors to have video monitor and camera in their studio creates a strange new kind of mirror 
uh, for the artist in which they're not just aware of their appearance but they're they're aware of their actions in time in a new way and as i say in the essay um um there's a whole there was a whole show at the ICA in 2002 or 2003 called video acts that that uh, curated those a wonderful collection of the first videos that artists and students made when they had access to this strange new video mirror and it made them hyper conscious of their actions and in a way changed art you could say maybe it changed art forever uh, but it changed it on the basis of consciousness of a new consciousness of acts i think just as a conscious act, one of the things we talked about very briefly before was the act of exhibiting, and, and, the impo- and you were talking to me about the importance of putting your work out in 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 the world to be seen. I mean, because there's, I mean, when you make things, you make them in stages, don't you? And there's the stages you're talking about, which is the pre-actual act of making the mm. the object. Then there's the act again of of revealing it to others, and that, and 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 I, we were saying about that kind of being a very self-conscious and scary thing, uh, especially when you, as you get older, it gets more, more um, uh, nerve-wracking or more kind of... But then it's very important because it, it feeds back. I'm probably digressing off your point, but I, I just thought that they were, it's part of the act in a way, I was thinking... Yeah, I find that difficult to follow, actually. I okay, well, that's, <laughs> fine. that's fine. Considered. The act of exhibiting, I'm sure... Fits in or extends my extends. I think it's at the moment. I, I can't really. No, fine. Well, that's fine. I digress. <laughs> I, I, that's fine. I tend to do this. Apologies. <laughs> it was because I was talking about possibly doing something like exhibiting myself, and I was terrified. I'm sure there's lovely examples of artists who. Prob- I'm sure there's lovely examples of artists who who have and do problematize, think twice, uh, or, or or kind of make uh, overconscious or hyperconscious the act of exhibiting too. Um, they're not springing to mind. Maybe Sophie uh, has got some examples, but uh, I mean, I mean, I, I know there's a long tradition of institutional critique whereby you'd subvert the expectations of curating or, or exhibiting. Um, but quite how it fits into my thesis, I can't think of an example off the top of my head. But I'm sure there is somebody who hesitates or shows you the hesitation involved in the act of exhibiting or something. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Uh, the, um, I forget his name now, um, but. There's um, there's definitely lots of artists that like have this dialogue with the curator very much at the forefront of the exhibitions, which I think maybe is what you're getting. At. Yeah, well, it's, yeah. it's the self consciousness thing as well. Was, 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 no, that's I what I was right. think, thinking of. Was that you know you're talking about being more? It sounds like you're talking about being more self conscious, which I, in some way, you know, prior to like prior to the actual. Doing of anything, you're well. Self-conscious might actually be the wrong term. It's a habitual term. We say self-conscious easily without thinking. Okay, but uh, but uh, it may be just conscious, meta-consciousness or a hyper-conscious. It's just being more conscious of all the forces, not just the self. I think the self is one force that's uh, that's there in the act of making. But there's other forces there in the act of making, including you know, the qualities of the materials, uh, all, 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 all these kind of things. And I guess so. like questioning all the assumptions that you take for granted in that process as well, and like. Yeah. Reflecting on everything. In a way, it's standard practice. In a way, it's standard practice, isn't it? You know, the, the arts student who who rolls up to do their degree, the first thing they get taught to do is to think a bit more, think mm. twice, yeah. uh, uh, think this through, realise the implications. In a way, it's standard practice. I was just trying to sort of tune it up a bit. <laughs> <laughs> but but I think the curating thing is interesting. I mean, you could you could take the idea in my essay, I suppose, and and, and look at institutional critique. Uh, artists who yeah don't take for granted oh I'll put my work in the gallery yeah. but um, I can't, yeah I'm, I'm I think like Mauricio, well. Mauricio Catalan's uh, gaffer tape is uh, 
he's the galleries to the the gallery wall or something uh, <laughs> in a way people who yeah look at the the look at the assumptions or presumptions of curating yeah. and then don't fall into that trap but yeah. hesitate and say let's play with what's happening here before we go we we make that step and i think it's interesting what you were saying about about art school and it is one of the first things that you're taught when you when you do like ba fine arts like this questioning everything but actually once you get out of that process you kind of fall back into like your regular routine of making i guess well, I wouldn't say you fall back into... Or you, into you learn a kind of style for your own well, method of working. Yeah, I, I mean, I think when I graduated, I threw away everything I made at art yeah. school. Uh, yeah. But that didn't mean I rejected what I learned or I hadn't yeah. learned things. It just meant I'd come to a new place. And I think that... Uh, I was going to say that uh, I think there is a desire, and it's, it's probably true that to master the art of something maybe is where the point where you don't have to hesitate or think before you act... You know, I think about Miles Davis playing a trumpet note or something. I always think of someone who is kind of a, kind of at one with his instrument yeah. and no longer has this kind of self-conscious uh, hesitation. Yeah. No matter what he does, it will be right. I think he said there are no mistakes. Miles Davis said there are no mistakes. Um, uh, so uh, so that, that is one way of, of attaining mastery of an art practice, I think, is to no longer think before you act and, and, and act in this beautifully perfect way that a master of arts can be. But it depends which context you're in, because if you're Duchamp or you're Ryan Gander or, or somebody like, like that, it may be your job in contemporary art or your kind of practice to always keep troubling this, this space mm. before the actress. Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? There's different kinds of mastery, if you, if you like. You met, we, again, I, I hesitate, but I mentioned Boyce before, and, and you said something about how he often presented materials... Mm. Perhaps rather than 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 the than, than necessarily this the carved figure or sculpture in stone. I mean, that's a crude no, definition of difference, but th that was a kind of pre thing. Do you think what he was doing? Yeah, I mean, I think Boys was Boys was a master of this other kind that I was talking about. Someone who troubled a lot of the presumptions of, of what an artist is, what what art is, etc. You know, one of the greatest influential figures of 20th century art I think and uh, you know whether he was uh, locked in a room with a coyote or uh, or presenting you with some fat or some felt or or, or some copper or something uh, I think that he's a, he's a good example of someone who, who didn't jump into the presumptions uh, of making and that the value of the art is in the made object uh, he was definitely in this more hesitant uh, exploring all the things that happened before that, including yeah, just well, what's what's the value of the material before you do anything to it? It hasn't felt itself already got kind of magical implications, or doesn't copper do stuff uh, without you uh, kind of manipulating it? And uh, I think that those are profound questions and, and enduring ones, you know, for for artists. Yeah, yeah I heard, I read that he he said the felt was meant to make you think of the absolute opposite of it. Which so mm. you went into a room which was dead of sound and grey. Felt and you were meant. It was meant to inspire in the viewer the thinking of the opposite, which would be outside and green and oh, and full mm. of sound. Which I thought I'd never read that until recently. I thought it was quite interesting. But listen, I'm, I'm going to be try and be clever. But, but um, <laughs> Sophie talks about you both mentioned um, Greeks, but you you, you mentioned um, <laughs> s s no no no. But you, you mentioned cynics, cynics. <laughs> your, your, Sophie, your piece is called the artist as cynic. Yes. And you yes. and in the second well, third paragraph, you, the, the practice of laying oneself bare is, yes. is, is 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 mentioned. But you you describe what cynics. In 
in, in, in the Greek um, times were and yeah. what, what they were trying to do differently, which I think does connect a bit with this Yeah, definitely in terms of, like, um, the, the artist as a kind of agitator of, of processes or of assumptions. I think there's definitely a link there. Um, what, 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 what was a cynic in, 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 in so, that? So the cynics, um, they... They were philosophers that tried to um, question all collective habits and um, structures in society. And they did that by living a life as um, close to nature as possible and rejecting social conventions and kind of dismissing law as unnecessary and um, all these kind of layers of... um, of social conventions which construct our, our everyday lives um, and they believed in being completely independent of that. So um, one of the most notorious of the cynics, um, Diogenes, there's these fantastic stories of um, of uh, Alexander the Great kind of going to visit him in his barrel that he lived on in the streets because he lived this kind of completely natural lifestyle on the street. Um, and... Um, and him complaining to to Alexander to move aside and completely dismissing the hierarchy, social hierarchy. Um, he needed to step aside so that he could bask in the sun. So this idea that the only thing which controls his life is his need to to survive and 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 wasn't dependent on um, what others thought of him. No, but, but at some risk to, to himself, would you say? At, yeah. So um, key to to the cynics was that. They would speak freely and act freely, so um, this often posed a great risk to them, obviously, um, because they would put themselves in positions where they spoke the truth as much as they knew it, even if this was um, really agitated the powers that be. And, and, and the, the, the link you're making really is, is, if I understand it, between these cynics and contemporary artists now and, and really yeah. what, how... And do those similar... Uh, is there an equivalent, really? Yeah. Or are there cynic, cynics now as artists? Or just yeah. cynics generally? I think... Um, that I, well, I was looking at artists that kind of lay themselves bare in, in a gallery set, um, position, which um, which I really questioned in the, in the article. So um, there was a couple of examples. Cornelia Parker's The Maybe, where Tilda Swinton's slept in the gallery um, or Marina Abramovic's The House of Ocean View where she lived in, in the gallery that you know, people could go and, and, and watch her living her, her, her life there and I really question whether like it, it, they're laying themselves bare but they're still in the safety zone of, of an art context and for me that didn't really um, fulfil the criteria of what the cynics um, practice which, which was this paresia of, of being able to speak freely. Um, but maybe actually something which relates to Paul's article is the um, this idea of how technology has developed um, arts practice and arts ability to um, to, to speak freely to, to an audience. And so um, I was looking at... Um, you mean to, to a much wider audience, to, do you mean? Through, yeah, through to, technology? To not be limited to an, to to an art audience. Yes, yeah. or, or art audience, OK, yeah. And to be able to really put your views and opinions and yourself on, on public display in, in, in its broadest sense. Um, so I was first looking um, at this 
guy called Josh Harris who would call himself an artist. I think that's questionable whether he is an artist or not. Um, but he was one of these first dot-com millionaires. Um, and at the turn of the millennium, he gave that all up. Like um, He'd made his millions and he gave up his dot-com company and um, set up this this really experimental project in New York, which all of the downtown art scene joined in. They lived in this um, big building where everything was provided for them for free and um and they could you know all of their food all of their entertainment was there but they had to stay in this building um but it was all rigged up with cctv cameras and there was there were um monitors everywhere so they could watch everything that everybody else was doing it's so the self-consciousness it, that paul was talking about yeah, with now and yeah day, wasn't it? um but it really like um foresaw the um the new internet kind of network social networking medias and and even like the big brother programs where you know you're putting yourself you know through facebook even you're putting yourself on display every day and, and you're creating this virtual persona which kind of takes on a life of its own so everybody in this project called um we live in public were like at once being filmed and watching others. And um, and they were allowed to do whatever they want. There was a shooting range, there was drugs, there was lots of public sex, there was public showers, and, like, everything was done in public. There was no privacy. So so Josh Harris's phrase for it was, that you know, that, you, that they the participants get everything for free, but they don't have their privacy. That belongs to, so to him who's making the project. How does this relate to the, to the cynic? So this is kind of... Being able to see how these new medias can provide a platform where you can put your whole life on display. And once you can put your whole life on display, you can put your political opinions on display and you can speak out against um, whatever power it is that's that's constricting society. Um, and so I think a great example of this is Ai Weiwei's um, piece, which he did earlier this year in March, I think, um, which was called Weiwei Cam. And uh, it was only up for less than 48 hours, but he rigged up his house with cameras. It was after he had been released from prison. And um, he was under constant surveillance by the Chinese authorities. They had like 15 surveillance cameras on his house. They had round-the-clock police standing outside his window. Um, And he was under house arrest. And um, so in his protest against this, he rigged up CCTV cameras in his own house so that he controlled his surveillance. And it was up for less than 48 hours before the Chinese authorities made him take it down again. So it's this act of being able... He wasn't allowed to speak to um, to journalists journalists, and he wasn't allowed to tweet and he wasn't allowed to, to, to write. And so this act of doing exactly what they were doing by putting having him under surveillance, he put himself under surveillance and that was this kind of political act which... You know, thousands of people like logged onto this website to to watch him in his in his like confined environment. Um, and another really good example that in I, his barrel. Yeah, yeah. Um, sorry, am I rambling? Am I, no, am, no. Going, am I going on too no. much? Um, another great example that was before Ai Weiwei's piece was um, this piece by Christoph, and I always pronounce his surname wrong, so I probably got this wrong. Is Christoph Schillingchief? 
which I don't know if that's not how you pronounce it at all. But he did this fantastic piece um, called Please Love Austria, where um, he was protesting against um, the FPO far-right party in Austria being um, elected as part of the coalition government. And he was really angry at people not acting um, against them being elected. And so he put this um, shipping container in the middle of the main square and had these asylum seekers living there and he put their lives on display and so by putting their so that was all rigged up in cctv cameras again um and putting their lives on display it really brought to the forefront what was underneath the surface in in the austrian society and, and politics there um making something visible um and confronting an audience with it so they um were watched on cctv in these in this um, container and the audience had to vote them out and when they were voted out they were deported back home i couldn't understand how that was how that was done because you also said that they that the winner got a pass to stay yeah. so this was inclusion with the government it was actually <laughs> was it not actually honest, real it wasn't real it wasn't real but it, it was, was made to appear real it was made to appear real so and, effectively and, people thought it thought it was and, and people and i think this is links back to you know being able to get out of an art context, putting putting life on display outside of an art context, was that people didn't realise that it was actors, and there was huge outcry um, that that you know people were complaining, watching it in Paris, and people in Austria complaining that they were seen as Nazis because they were doing this. And so I think this these technologies allow for very a radical political opinions to be put on put on display, which would make these people these artists. More like the cynics, the cynics of, the, yeah. of, of the Greek times. Yeah, that speaking you're out without without fear. Yeah, and you could yeah. also say, I mean, just to try and bring it back to Paul's, I mean, there is a kind of this is a very conscious form of making work, isn't it? I mean, it's very mm. considered, and uh, you know, it isn't. They haven't rushed out, and did you think, or is, I mean, is it? I mean, as, as as does it does it does it make you, Paul, think of the way you were thinking of work at all? That kind of public sphere. Which is something you have debated about what that is, by the way, uh, in other programmes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I think there, yeah. I, I think there is a, a connection, a comparison to be made. Um, I mean, I, I, I thought it was very prov- thought provoking, and, and I covered my copy in, in notes and ideas that, that so Sophie's writing there. writing there <laughs> provoked. Um, uh, uh, one of the one of the the points that relates to what you're saying, try, trying to make a, 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 a kind of link across to my own essay about kind of pre-making or, or something was it was the point where I, there's a se- there's a sentence i really liked that where it said the most important border that has to be crossed is the border that constitutes the activists themselves in a separation from the rest of society mm. and uh, you were talking about occupy there i think but but uh, what interested me about that was that you seem to be suggesting um that uh, it's, it's an argument I've seen come across, uh, I've come across before about activism. But um, the idea that uh, you shouldn't have a body, you shouldn't have, you shouldn't constitute yourself in a way, uh, or you should, or you should release yourself of all your defences, all your form, mm. your 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 body in a way, uh, make yourself totally vulnerable and defenceless. And it's that act that is so provocative and so political mm. in a way. And I think that's probably what Diogenes is doing. And what everyone else is trying to do, mm. I mean, one of the things that interested me is, is that everyone else's example, including Ai Weiwei, have this problem of vanity and mm. falling over into representation. Here's a framed picture of me or, or something. And there's something about Diogenes that we still hold dear because he seems mm. to have done something that no one else did. But trying to yeah. work out what he, 
he did. He did that so special, so provocative. It's really it's interesting the, the, question. That having the real risk involved, and I think that's still a problem, is that there still needs to be like a real risk involved in, in artists' work. Yeah. Which, which you'd say is, is lacking. I mean, it's something you, you would like I think it's more there. Of. I think it's there that there, is, there are risks involved, but, but not the same as Diogenes was, was getting no. at. Because, because obviously, as an individual artist, when you make, you are, you know, scared stiff, and it is, yeah. it is a big thing. Yeah, the, yeah. Point, the point I was trying to, to get to was, was that, that where I thought the, the, the temporal element in my essay, you know, this idea of you know, thinking before making or something like that, uh, relates to Sophie's essay, was that I, something I called pre-subjectivity, that, that, that in a way there's a sense in which uh, if you release yourself of identity or form of a body, uh, you know, kind of spill yourself out into the world like this, make yourself completely vulnerable... Um, it's almost like uh, maybe children do that. You know, they haven't they haven't achieved this kind of subjectivity or something. There, there's some sense of there's almost a sense of showing yourself without the defence of a subject, without the, mm -hmm. the defence of a subjectivity. And to me, that was almost like a pre-subjectivity that Diogenes was occupying that place. I don't think any other people have done that. I think Ai Weiwei, I watched this wonderful film of Ai Weiwei that came out this summer, and uh, there's always a moment where it tumbles over into vanity, the problems mm. of vanity. Yes. Things. But Diogenes is, is a bit of a hero of mine too, because he does seem to have made a political force ripple through society just by this incredible act of Defiance, openness, which is, yeah. which is almost the antithesis of a subject. Yeah. It's like to be a subject, you have to defend a certain parameters and if you throw open those defenses completely something terrible and fantastic happens yeah thank you both very much we have come to the end of the program but i thought it was a really good conversation and i will be diogenizing afterwards <laughs> <laughs> i do not know much about him but i, I need I'd to know more <laughs> sorry that didn't sound very good did it? <laughs> thank you all for listening this has been art monthly talk show on resonance 104.4 fm goodbye <laughs>